Hey, Scott Walker here. Welcome to another edition of Freedom Fighters. This week we're on the road. We've been earlier in the week, we were in Texas and Dallas talking with great supporters and some students from all over the state of Texas. Today, we're here at the Reagan Ranch Center in Santa Barbara, just outside of downtown near the ocean front. Some of you may know, others may not, that the organization I'm now proud to be the president of, Young America's Foundation, owns and operates the Reagan Ranch just outside of Santa Barbara, up in the mountains. Beautiful spot. Certainly invite you to come, go to yf.org uh, and learn more about the ranch and all the programs we provide. But the ranch itself uh, has been owned and operated now for more than two decades. At the end of the 1990s, when uh, the president, Mrs. Reagan, but particularly First Lady Nancy Reagan, were looking to sell the ranch. It was the natural connection for YAF because for many years we'd been a, a partner. In fact, uh, the organization was founded back in the 1960s. Ronald Reagan was one of the first leaders of the advisory board uh, for YAF. And over the years, he had frequently been an advocate, including his time as governor and even as president, speaking at many of our conferences and inviting student leaders to the White House. So it was a natural uh, for us to purchase and now operate, essentially almost like it was the day the Reagans walked out. Uh, his boots, his clothes, uh, the artifacts, the uh, things that they had are still in the ranch house, 688 acres, just about a 45-minute drive up into the mountains from here, but a tremendous opportunity for our students. And we're so thrilled that there are students here today. You know, earlier in the year, we mentioned that in February, we went to Florida for our Freedom Conference. Florida, in part because of thanks to Ron DeSantis, I think one of the best governors in the country, that state is open and flourishing and free we wanted to go there because we knew it would be open for our students to have an in-person conference. We went to Miami in particular because we knew it would be a great spot to talk not just about being free in the state, but talking about the difference between freedom and socialism. Being so close to Miami and with a flourishing and increasingly conservative Cuban-American population, we knew it was a great story to tell. You know, I've said for some time, one of the challenges we have as conservatives is that we think and talk with our head. The left thinks and talks with their heart. We shouldn't concede the logic that comes with our brain, but, but talk about it in ways that come from the heart. Be happy warriors, as Ronald Reagan so often talked about. And so being in Miami was a great place to bring in speakers who could make that connection uh, to Cuba and, and the contrast there. We had a speaker as well whose family came from Venezuela. Those are real life, real time experiences of people coming from the increasingly oppressive regimes that you see in socialist countries around the world. One of the folks that works right here at the Reagan Ranch Center, her family came years ago from the old Soviet Union and the old Soviet bloc countries. We've got several others on our staff who've done the same. And many of our students who tell the stories of coming from those old communist run countries and why their families and those surrounding them love this country probably more than any of us, because they know whether it was in communist countries in the past or socialist countries, even as we speak, those countries that promise power to the people really lead to poverty to the people and power in the hands of the elites and oppression for those who disagree with their views. Here in America, they know that freedom and opportunity is available to anyone. We're endowed with our creator with these unbelievable rights that all people are created equal. And so we think about our, our freedoms, the, the freedom of speech, the freedom to practice religion, the freedom to freely assemble, the freedom of a free press, 
All those things are at risk today, and it's precisely why it's such a great opportunity to get together. So we've been in Miami. We're going to be uh, later in the spring. We're going to be in South Dakota at Mount Rushmore, celebrating some of our iconic American heroes uh, that are ingrained literally in the sides of the mountain there, thinking about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt, who are up there not just because they in their own right are icons, but because of those critical times in our nation's history. Earning, earning uh, I should say, learning that history uh, is an important part of understanding not only what happened in the past, but predicting the sorts of things that are going to happen in the future. That's one of the biggest challenges I hear from, from students, but also from parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles and others across the country, is, is that our society is going to either outright block parts of history or dramatically shift it, like we see with the, uh, the 1916 Project and other things like that, where they're completely altering the history of our nation. Now, did our early leaders and those ever since, uh, were they perfect? Absolutely not. As a Christian, I can proudly say, in my belief, there's only been one person on this planet who's ever been perfect, and he hasn't walked around here in the last 2,000 plus years. But I know the ideas and the ideals that this country was founded on are about as perfect as they get when it comes to any form of government. And that's what we're talking about with our students. We're going to be together in another free state. That's Texas. Come this August, we're going to be in Houston, where we're going to bring, bring it together potentially thousands of students from across the country and, and almost a week long worth of great speakers talking about those freedoms and those responsibilities and those opportunities going forward. And even here, even in the People's Republic of California under Comrade Newsom, the bottom line is we found a way to come together and reach young people even as we speak in this very oppressed uh, state of California. And that is by having a YAF day camp. It's not our traditional multi-day overnight conference, but we are able to legally follow the rules and still have a good number of high school students here with us, not overnight uh, as we traditionally would, but for a day-long conference for a series of days, hearing from remarkable speakers uh, talking about conservative ideas, free enterprise and free market principles, and the kind of values that really founded and, and continue to make this country great. In this uh, little area that we're in right now filming uh, this podcast, I should tell you over my shoulder uh, is the actual Jeep that Ronald Reagan took the former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev around on the Reagan ranch itself. In fact, if you go up to the ranch, you'll see a, a very classic and very used Jeep that President Reagan used for most of his time on the ranch. But years uh, into their time there, uh, Nancy Reagan thought it was appropriate for his birthday to get him a little bit nicer Jeep, and that's the one he used for the ride. That's right here. I remember one of the days I was doing a, a Newsmax uh, hit on my typical time on Tuesdays uh, late in the morning. Uh, I was here in this setting, and I and I reached back and I pointed to the Jeep behind me, and the, the anger actually thought it was just uh, the screenshot in the back of, of uh, my setting on Skype. No, this is the real deal. We are really, literally, in the Reagan Ranch Center here in the exhibit part. And it's remarkable. The Jeep's here. You can see just over on the side, the desk that Ronald Reagan signed, the Economic Tax Recovery Act of 1981, August 13th. I remember it well. It's my parents' wedding anniversary on that day. 40 years ago, come this August, he signed what was then the largest tax cut in American history. He began the process that went not only through his time as president, but into 
President Bush and even President Clinton benefited from the peace dividend and the economic recovery started by our 40th president. You can see on the tables over here, uh, some of the tables he literally used at the Reagan ranch to give some of his most prophetic and profound uh, radio addresses to the people around the country. And in many cases, when talking about fighting communism to people around the world. When I think about uh, the impact President Reagan had on not just America, but on the world, the Jeep behind her is a great reminder. Not just because he took Gorbachev around, and uh, I love being in here because you over the years hear some great stories about, you know, when he was on that trip, the two of them put on cowboy hats. And the only mistake was that Gorbachev's team didn't tell him to put it on correctly. So in the pictures, many of us remember those iconic pictures of the two of them together at the ranch. Take another look at it, Google it, bring it up, and you'll realize that Gorbachev's cowboy hat is on backwards. Maybe a little telling about the difference uh, between the Soviet Union and the United States of America at the time. But what I love more than that is it's just such a reminder of the perseverance of this president. Ronald Reagan, when you come in the center, there's a piece of the Berlin Wall. And not only is he well known for the speech that he gave years before the wall came down to calling on Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down that wall, but it really goes back years before, even before he was president. When the president, even in his time coming out of the Screen Actors Guild, before he was even governor of the state of California, and certainly through his time in public life, the president understood the problems and the failures of communism. It's why he and the Pope at the time, John Paul II, fought together. Of course, uh, the great leader of the Catholic Church and the church around the world understood, having come from his homeland of Poland, how oppressive communism was, not just when it came to political freedoms, but to religious freedom as well. Pope John Paul II and President Ronald Reagan were great admirers of each other and worked together to bring about the fall of communism. It was Reagan's persistence in particular that made the difference. You see, I remember back reading about President Reagan's time at Reykjavik, where they had one of these summits and where the, the pressure was on for much of the national and international press to come up with a deal. Reagan knew more than just winners and losers, which historically had categorized debates during the Cold War, that what Reagan wanted was peace, peace through strength. We knew you didn't go into negotiations willing to give away the farm or you'd never get to the point of not just winning, but winning for all of mankind. See, Reagan really did want peace. He, he really did want the end of what I remember as a kid back in the 80s was the, the fear of nuclear proliferation. Sounds like such a foreign concept today, but it was this idea that many of his children, in particular in the 80s, grew up worried that somehow if one or the other world leader, the United States or the old Soviet Union, were to be overly aggressive, pushing that button, would send missiles off from the other country, and you'd see missiles going at each other, blowing up, if not all, major portions of this world. The phrase was mutually assured destruction, and it left many of us dealing with years and years of panic and fear that that might happen. Well, Ronald Reagan didn't want that. He didn't want that for himself. He didn't want that for his children. He didn't want that for his children's children. Most importantly, he didn't want that for Americans for generations to come. And so he was pushing a plan for peace. Part of that was the media dubbed it Star Wars. It was really officially called the Strategic Defense Initiative. And at Regevich, he made the point so convincing that if no one else in that room in those meetings fully appreciated it. The one most important to discussions who did was Gorbachev himself. 
And to show you just how great he was at negotiations, he made the case that it wasn't just something he had, but he was willing to give it to Mikhail Gorbachev and the Soviet people if in return they were able to make reductions in their nuclear arsenal. The idea was he, he wanted, and the reason they called it Star Wars at the time, it really was a strategic defense initiative, this concept of, of putting in place essentially a bubble that would protect anyone from nuclear missiles coming in from around the world, a way to live in a more peaceful society. Well, coming out of that meeting, Gorbachev increasingly believed that Reagan had technology that would work, even with many in the American media, and even some in political life in this country didn't at the time, the bottom line was that Gorbachev believed it, but he wasn't yet ready to make the deal. See, incredible pressures then, and you still feel it today for the nationalism of the, the Soviet people, and particularly those in the elite, in the KGB, and well embedded in the uh, Communist Party and government structure there. They put tremendous pressure on not just Gorbachev, but leaders far into the past. So it was important that Reagan was willing and able to walk away from the deal. Coming out of Reykjavik, despite all the hype, I remember Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather all talking about how this was a failed attempt to negotiate, that Reagan had wanted too much, that he had blew the chance for any sort of peace, realistic peace plan in the country and around the world. And the bottom line is his holding out made Gorbachev and those surrounding him ultimately believe even more that Reagan wasn't bluffing. Not long after that, they signed historic documents leading to some of the most significant reductions in nuclear armament that we've seen in the history of this world. And because of that, not only is America and those of us around the world that much safer, but you saw not much long after that, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, the collapse of communism, not only in Eastern Germany, but in the Soviet Union and the old Soviet bloc countries. I think in many ways, it didn't just go back to that moment at Reykjavik and the willingness of our 40th president to be a strong leader. In many ways, I think it goes back even further, back early on in 1981. See, in August of 81, almost 40 years ago, Ronald Reagan did something really remarkable, and even more so if you understand the circumstances at the time. After giving a series of warnings from himself and the administration, Ronald Reagan fired more than 11,000 air traffic controllers. Why? Because they were violating the law. Now, many people from that age, uh, my age as a young person to those even before, understood that and remember that. But what you may not remember Bottom line in all this is that uh, at the time, this was not political retribution. Most people assume because PECO, which was the union representing air traffic controllers, because it was an organized union, most people assume that Reagan was pushing back because they were a union. Truth be told, PECO was the only and the first union, the very first union, even in the primaries, to come out and endorse Ronald Reagan for president. That's significant, because this wasn't about political payback. In the end, this was ultimately about sending a message that even if you're with me politically, the bottom line, the bottom line is that Ronald Reagan was gonna do what was right. That certainly had an impact on domestic policy, but I would argue at the same time, 
It sent a clear message around the world. And I believe the leaders in the Kremlin at that point knew that they had an adversary who was not going to back down. I think that's why when he made the cases he did several years later at Reykjavik about the Strategic Defense Initiative, they understood that this was not a guy who was going to bluff because he had been called on it before and he didn't bluff when it dealt with things like PECO and the air traffic controllers. And he certainly wasn't going to do it in defense of the people of this great country. That's what's great at being a place like this. You see, we learn about Reagan, not to just be nostalgic, but to understand not just the idea of what it means to be a conservative, but how we apply it, whether it was in Ronald Reagan's time, whether it was the work that I tried to do and following in his mode years later as governor of the state of Wisconsin when taking on some of the big government special interests, or even for its governors around the country today in places like Florida, where I think Ron DeSantis has followed in that mode as well, of doing what he thought was right for the people of his state, despite enormous pressure, particularly from the media, not just within Florida, but around the country. But we can see whether it was under Reagan in Wisconsin or now in states like Florida, that common sense conservative reforms work. That's what we're sharing It's for students here at conferences like the YAF Day Camp. We'll be again this summer when we're in Texas for the National Conservative uh, Student Conference or whether it's at any other campuses across this country in college and high school and hopefully increasingly even into middle school. We need to share the message that freedom and opportunity are far, far better than the so-called ideas involved around socialism, which really put their power in the hands of the government. We put our power and belief in the hands of the people, and the people will always prevail in a free society. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Freedom Fighters. And until next week, keep fighting for freedom.